Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Solace, and with me, as always, is my very, very talented friend, who is this podcast special sauce. She's the mixtress, do you see, Gina? Oh, I love that. I think I have a little sassy more than saucy, but I'll take it. <laughs> A little bit of both, you know, yeah, yeah, goes right. a long way. I'm okay with it's it. It's a good thing. Tops everything. Yeah. All right. So, Gina, um, no matter what we may think about fast food, the industry has created some of the catchiest slogans. You know, I love slogans and jingles um, of all time. From I'm Loving It, uh, which has a really cool backstory, by the way, um, by McDonald's to the Chihuahua saying, Yo quiero Taco Bell. Um, many of these taglines are just unforgettable and they just stick in your head, right? They last for decades, well past the commercial run. Um, so, you know what it is? You know what that means? What? It means it's quiz time. Just uh, oh, for I'm, Gina. Like, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to uh, name the slogan. You name the fast food chain. Okay, go. All right. Eat more chicken. Chick fil A. Yeah, that one's easy. Remember, cow says that. Um, we have the meats. Um, I was going to say Wendy's. That's not it. Arby's. Arby's there you Arby's, go. There yeah. you go. And you know, that's, that, uh, that voice is Bing Rains. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I found that out in this little research I did here. Okay. And now this one goes way, way back to our time. Where is the beef? That's Wendy's. That, that is Wendy's. I, like, I know that. That's a lady. God. Fresh. Um, Subway. It is. And that's like the worst bread ever. Um, And you deserve a break today. That's McDonald's. You are. You definitely read my notes. She's what? a cheater. No, cheater that is McDonald's. It is McDonald's. That's got, an old You got one hundred percent. It is. It's from the seventies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was Ran say. through like a decade through the seventies. Yeah, you 80s. guys forgot I grew up in New York. I mean, the reach <laughs> no. for me was Chick Fil A because like yeah. that's not a New York. Brand. Except that it's more common now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All you, you throw the New York brands at me, and I'm like, I got you. You got it. All right. But fast food is also regional, so that's also crazy. Right? Absolutely, it is. I think these are most most of what we picked today. These were all other than Chick Fil A is probably that. I think it's nationwide. Maybe. Arby's, maybe Arby's. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, so like the drive-through line at Chick-fil-A, we could go on and on with these slogans, but we're not. Um, we have today, because of today's guest, she knows way more about the fast food industry than uh than just taglines. Um, get this. She recently won the Pulitzer Prize for her book, Franchise, The Golden Arches in Black America, um, where she uncovers a surprising history of cooperation among fast food restaurants, black capitalists, and civil rights leaders. So wow. please welcome, please welcome to the show the professor of history and African-American studies at Georgetown University. She is Dr. Marsha Chatwin. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for being here. Hi. You are too young to have done all of these things. Oh, so my gosh. I, the lighting here is fantastic. <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, you look so young. I was like, don't worry. I'm slowly weathering under, <laughs> underneath this. Oh, my yes. gosh. I'm like looking at your your face. I'm like, there's no way she did all this. This is amazing. No, it's crazy. And there's more. It is even more. Um, so and so let's do this. So, Marsha, I, I definitely want to get to your book. Absolutely. We want to find out all about that. But will you please tell Gina and our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Well, I am firmly uh, middle-aged athleisure mom, as I like to call myself <laughs> on Twitter. Athleisure um, mom, I love it. <laughs> I, I, am, I am a professor of history. I like to think of um, myself as someone who has a really fabulous and fantastic life in history when I'm not teaching my students. I do a lot of talking head stuff on um, documentaries, 
I appear on podcasts. Um, I have an like extra life in the true crime podcast world where I'm often what? a guest. Yes, I am often a guest on true crime podcasts. Yes. Um, I worked on one a few years back um, called Undisclosed that looked at the death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore, Maryland, and I was the historical voice of it. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I, I am- that one. Oh, did you? I totally yes. did. Yes. Yeah, oh my that gosh. That was me. Um, I was Marsha of that setup. And then, um, you know, I think that what is most important about me to know is that I, I, I love my interests with my whole heart, my whole heart. And so whether it is my two-year-old son or whether it's civil rights history or whether it's the Real Housewives franchise, like when I love me something, too. I commit fully. And I commit fully to um, fine dining and fine drinks, um, which I just adore, but I have to also engage with in moderation, kind of like my reality <laughs> TV viewing, though I'm not really moderate on that one. Um, Gina, I think you've met your match. I love her. I love you already. You know, everyone's always <laughs> oh like, God. you really are too invested in the Real Housewives. I'm like, I know, but I'm super into this Like one. I mean, tonight's like... You know, I don't know. I, I shouldn't say tonight what's going to be on, but I'm obsessed. Like, these women, like, literally put themselves out there, and they're on, and, like, doesn't matter what. Um, I really do love the Potomac because I know some of those ladies, so yeah. it's really fun for me. But, I mean, honestly, I think I have to say the Jersey Housewives are very entertaining as well. <laughs> I, you know what? I, ju I just started the recent season. I was a few episodes behind. The thing I find fascinating about Housewives, if uh, from a historical perspective, they oh my are God. They are really chronicling, um, I think, the nation's economy um, yeah. in this incredible way. Because when they started, it was before the mortgage meltdown. Then the recession happens. Then, you know, we get through elections with them. I wonder how inflation is going to impact the housewives. It, there's this weird way where there's an artifice of wealth, but then there's like the story behind it. And I also oh, yeah. am a big Pot Potomac fan because it's the area I lived in, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. when you live yeah. in the... Uh, DMV, you can identify the places they're in. 99% of the show happens outside of Potomac, which I also find fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> no one lives in Potomac. Very few of them, I should say, live in Potomac. But I think it's such a... I think it's just such a fascinating view on the dynamics of wealth and gender and social class. And this idea that I talk to my students all the time, when I was a kid, it was a very big deal to see someone you knew on television. It's yeah. like if there was a roaming, a roving reporter who asked them, you know, to react to something or if someone you knew was going to be on television, it was like, oh my God, now I feel like I know tons of people who've been on TV for good and for bad, right? Yeah. Just are available the the possibility that you could become like the moment at any second is such a strange kind of cultural phenomenon, but in many ways the housewives, you know, illustrate that perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the truth is, I think that is also with podcasting, too. 100%. Because it becomes a, an approachable medium, whereas before media was really, it was, like to your point, when I was a kid, it was always hard. If you got to be on TV, I figure skated at a, uh, an outdoor rink, <laughs> and the news would come, and they would do the, the weather underneath the B-roll footage of me skating probably at least two to three times a month. And I would that inevitably go, oh, Oh my God, you were on the news again. But it's just like the weather's on top of me. You can't really, right. you know, it was my feet. Well, I mean, but you know, I, I was special, damn it. Well, 
<laughs> I mean, I come from a very modest background. Um, and to think about um, the fact that I am sometimes on television and I don't even know that it's on and someone will text me and yeah. say, you know, my neighbor saw you or, you know, my mom will say, you know, my, you know, your aunt called me. She saw you on CNN. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they ran this thing is is so mind blowing because I'm um, what do they call me? <laughs> I'm I was because I was born in 79 so I oh. didn't grow up with the internet until later and I didn't have a cell phone until I graduated college gotcha. so I, re I remember yeah. when you know if my friend was on tv you'd have to get a blank VHS tape yes. out of the basement to tape it so someone could watch it and now you know the the fact that I'm I'm in other places that people can see whenever they want is very weird to me I guess, and that's when you used to get in trouble if you grabbed the wrong tape and you taped oh my God, over you taped something. Oh my God, you something, yes. Oh, you were in trouble. <laughs> that was my, that was me. <laughs> was, I'm sure it was something horrible, like um, New Kids on the Block or something disgusting, just like that bad. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, it's going to be on New Kids on the Block. Meanwhile, that's I'm like, oh, it's terrible. Everything I loved was like... And meanwhile, now the American Girl dolls have like some kind of like 90s American Girl dolls. And I started I cringing when I saw it. And I was oh, like, whatever. I was like, and they're like, the fact that they're going to like, um, you know, preserve our decade. I'm like, that's just wrong. And then I'm like, I am 45. <laughs> I'm like, I have to like accept my age. That's I'll just keep using my face creams and hopefully um, I'll look as good as Marsha does because this is bullshit. <laughs> I'm like looking at you and you're like, I'm born in 79. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. I appreciate that. <laughs> Funny she didn't say the same thing about me. You or me. Or <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, in all fairness, we are not all like inches away from each other. I can, I can barely make out what your faces look like. The, the lighting in that office is really fabulous. Yeah, you think? Oh, I well, think that's good. good stuff. I'm good. Well, from good. my screen, you can't see anything from the screen, really. But yeah, I'm that's sure true. You're all that's true. Well, when we all get together in DC and have drinks, we'll make Absolutely. that happen. Absolutely. Because I think uh, we should hang out with Marsha. I mean, she's. I, I do mean, have a bar. We should, should go to Last Call. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. You I, had her at bar. <laughs> yes. I'm sure some of your students have, have frequented Last Call, but I do own that um, divey cocktail bar, so it's fun. So, Marsha, what drew you to academia? You know, it's it's uh, so again, like a, a person who has had a lot of success and kind of had no plan, which is kind of shocking. <laughs> um, so I didn't know what I didn't know. And so when I went to um, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be a journalist. I loved writing. I loved reporting. Um, you know, I had the privilege of going to Missouri School of Journalism. And, you know, it was the it was really, really good. It was really, really competitive. And I wasn't that good of a journalism student. I was perfectly <laughs> fine. But I didn't have that instinct that a lot of my classmates had to, you know, like sleep in the newsroom or like, you know, try yeah. to file 10 stories a month in our, you know, newspaper, which was like the lab for our class. I, I wanted to write long stories. I wanted to um, have the space to kind of go deeper. And I'm also part of that strange generation of journalism students where I majored in magazine journalism. Wait, right? what's a magazine? Right, exactly. <laughs> and I love magazines. I mean, I used to just, I remember going to the bookstore in college and spending a fortune on magazines, yeah. beautiful glossies, food magazines, photography magazines. Yes. So I was part of that last group. So I, I, 
I was in that generation that learned how to long um, write long narrative stories. And it just didn't seem like a viable path as I was moving um, through my education. So I also majored in religious studies, which I really liked because a lot of it was research-based. A lot of it was telling long and deep mm. stories about faith yeah. and culture. And so kind of midway through college, I knew that I wasn't going to be a professional journalist. And I was really just encouraged to consider academic research. I had no idea how competitive it was to become a professor. <laughs> I don't really think I understood how little money you make at the start of your career. I just like didn't know these <laughs> things because I didn't, I didn't have... I didn't have an idea of what being successful was other than being able to take care of myself in sure. a modest way. I didn't have aspirations of living in a giant house or having 10 cars. So when I graduated from college, my PhD stipend was $18,500 a year, which oh looking back is so bananas. Yeah. But I was just, I was living a great life. I drove a Ford Focus. I lived <laughs> in a shitty apartment. I got to read books all day. Um, I always had extra jobs, you know, to sustain myself. So I would go on like one trip a year, occasionally go out to dinner with my friends. I remember Tuesday nights, we would have a potluck and watch America's Next Top Model. So I was kind of- yes. <laughs> I was living the best version of an adult life I could imagine. I think because, you know, I grew up in a context where people worked in factories, they worked, um, you know, as healthcare assistants, they had these really grueling, physically taxing jobs. And here I was um, not making that much more money, but having the opportunity to read books and write. And I just loved it. I loved teaching. I loved getting people excited about how history can help them solve, you know, contemporary problems. Wow. And so I think that there was a kind of naivete I had about what professional life would look like, but I just always knew that I, I was scrappy enough to figure out how I was going to pay my rent, how I was going to pay my bills, how I was going to get free trips somewhere, <laughs> somehow, right? Like some way. And, and then, you know, I think I had excellent mentorship. I had a lot of professors who were also first-generation college students who had came from, you know, really modest backgrounds and were able to forge really amazing careers. And so um, I think that there's something kind of like, uh, there was a kind of innocence that I had about kind of what, I don't know, what having a middle class life entailed, but I've just always followed my instincts and I always just found other ways to do my work so I could take care of myself. And the life I have now is something I could never imagine. You know, sometimes I get to eat in fancy restaurants and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is like something in a movie. I, I, I say that all the time when I go to somewhere beautiful, I'm like, oh, this is like something in a movie and I get to experience it. And I never take that for granted. I think that's so beautiful to, to be gracious and grateful for what you have at your disposal at your fingertips because I think we often only see what we don't have and to have that you're such a breath of fresh air with the idea of no appreciate what you have because I mean I can fall victim of oh I had this but I wish I had that you miss the moment to your point I mean that's that's great insight and it's something that we should all try, or I should I shouldn't say anyone else but myself should apply that more to my life so that I can appreciate appreciate every moment because I'm not promised another one not the last 100%. time I checked. <laughs> and you know, you just you just never know what's on the other side of something. I I have a, a PhD student who is finishing very soon and you know, I said to her, I said, you know, you started this program, it's so overwhelming, it's so stressful, there's ups and downs and 
now we're on the other side of it and now and then it's going to be something else and I think as a writer you have to tell yourself that because writing a book is the worst it is so stressful (laughs) it's so exposing all you think about are all the people who are going to say that you're wrong or you know you're foolish or you have to just really remember that everything is just a period in your life and then it will be something else um, that will challenge you or inspire you Oh, that's cool. It's a good way to look at it, right? Yeah, it's a great way. I, the other side of it. That's how I felt about the first 10 years of my business. Now I'm on the other side of it. That sucks because no. now you're like, now I got to get to 25. <laughs> no, I mean, look, owning, I mean, being a business owner, my um, my sister is in the wine and spirits industry. She's a sommelier and, you know, she has been in the industry for such a long time. And I remember when COVID like struck yeah. We were in New York City, my sister and I. She lives in Chicago. I live in D.C. And I was coming to New York for my big book party. Uh, I was going to have a huge event at NYU and some other venues in New York. I was so excited. My sister was with me. It was perfect. And then COVID shut down everything. It was the night oh, no. that I, – I, I will never forget this. Broadway closed. The oh. NBA closed. And Tom Hanks had COVID. And I'm like, oh, this shit is real. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And, you know, every event was canceled. I had coffee with a friend. And, you know, we're just wildly speculating what this thing COVID was. I got on the train and I landed, um, I ended in a Union Station, Washington, D.C. And I was like, well, it's going to be um, a pandemic. I should go do some groceries at the Walgreens at Union Station. Like, this is how clear wow. my mind was. I bought. Like two rolls of toilet paper and a frozen pizza. And I'm like, okay, this is going to get us through. You know, I come home with this and I'm like, okay, we're ready for lockdown. But, you know, my sister had her entire business had been events, wine tastings, wine education, all of this. And she was in New York for the same reason. And she went back home and, I, and she's like, I don't know what happens next. Like what, yeah. what happens? And she had this incredible shift in her business and did incredibly well and pivoted and all of these things. But you, you just don't know. You just you never know what you're made of. And I have so much respect, you know, for business owners who are like, OK, I'm going to take this risk every day. I'm going to do my best. And, you know, 10 years. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and the commitment and the work in it. And, you know, I think I wish that like we talked more about that. Right. Not how we landed on the other side, but how we got through it. It's that scrappy part, right? Yeah, that's am- thank you. By yeah. the way, I don't Absolutely. ever look at it Congratulations. Like that. I always look at it like, I can't believe it's been 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel that long. I, it just seems like, and of course, I'm not living it. You are. But I think about like when you were rolling out sod in the middle of the night because to get the suburbia opened, I mean, you were, those were the early days. And I was pregnant. Yeah. You were <laughs> pregnant. Because <laughs> there's no, because when you're a woman, you can never, ever do less you got to do more and you got to do it pregnant and you got to do it better and bigger percent and 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 you better be the best at it while pregnant (laughs) oh my gosh gosh. all right uh you know since you're so uh scrappy um i think it's a perfect time for you to give us a scrappy tips and tricks i mean it's not that scrappy it's a little fancy but let's go all right let's do it infusing you all talk about it. You all think you know what you're doing. Everyone's like, oh, I put the fruit in there for like six months and then I drank it. And then I was in the bathroom for two weeks. It's so weird, right? Because you grew a bunch of bacteria. Nah, that's not what we're doing here today. 
So let's talk about infusing. Sometimes infusions are, you know, an hour, 15 minutes, um, a day. Today, what we're gonna do is teach you how to use a high proof alcohol, which is like gin, and this is 94 proof. And you're gonna use a beautiful ingredient like dried chamomile, which I absolutely love. And we're gonna mix these two together to make a new ingredient, which is a chamomile forward gin profile. So what we're gonna do is, it's very simple. Whatever you use the chamomile is what you're gonna use in the gym. So we are going to take half a cup of chamomile, right? We agree, this is a half a cup. Chamomile, dried, beautiful. It's one of my favorite things, the best thing that comes out of Austria and, and that part of the world. And we're gonna put it in. And then we are going to add four ounces so of, um, sorry, yeah, four ounces, that's four. Half of eight is four, everybody, just real clear. Uh, four ounces of gin. And should you use a wet measuring cup? Sure, you can use this. Yes, if you want to play meniscus. If you put a drop more gin in, like, you know, booze bag herself, that would be me. Nothing's gonna happen, okay? So, what we're gonna do with this now is, is you have this infusion, and you're gonna set a timer. I know, crazy, right? But you all got some kind of smartphone, or watch, or a friend, or your grandmother's antique timer, and you're gonna set this timer for one hour, and you're gonna check your infusion, and if it has a beautiful golden color, then it's ready. And by the magic of the camera, right, this is what it looks like, we're gonna swap in the ready product. So you have this beautiful gold color on the bottom, and you know that the hours pass, and you don't want to go any further than that because tea sometimes can have astringency. And when you have astringency, you're changing the drink from something delicious and floral to something like nail polish. So we don't want to do that, right? So what you're going to do is you're going to get another container and you're going to strain it off. Now this is a fine mesh tea strainer or cocktail strainer. And you're just going to make sure that you get all that little grit out. And what you're left with is a chamomile infused tea. I mean, sorry, a chamomile infused chin. Maybe I need a sip of it. And you can keep this for quite a while, but when after infusions, I like to put them inside of the refrigerator because you really don't want it to do anything further. And there might be some bacteria or something that's, you know, lingering on your, um, it smells really wonderful. Sorry, I just had to take a, I had to take a whip. You know, I don't write the script here, I just smell it. Um, you don't want it lingering on your counter or anything like that. So take it and put a lid on it, throw it in your refrigerator, you can use it later. Um, again, just remember it's equal parts, right? And you can use any tea to do this, but keep it under the hour mark, taste it. If you think it needs to go a little longer, let it. Usually it's less. So less is more with your tea infusions. Gina, that smells so amazing. I mean, chamomile, gin. Ooh. I was inspired by the word golden yeah. in, the, in, the, in the book title. So I made this like golden infusion. So like that, that, um, you know, that gin with the cam. It's just, it's just lovely. Like doing infusions like that. Just like Marsha. Yeah. Just like Marsha. Inspired. <laughs> it's very floral. It's like, it's also very floral. I, I, I was in, I inspire people to, you know, do infusions like that quicker though. Don't, you know, don't make it a science experiment. Just an hour. There you go, an hour. Anyone can do that. All right, um, where are they going to go to get that tips and tricks? So you're going to go to designateddrinker.show to get um, tips and tricks, or you can follow us on Instagram if you want to see it for yourself. There you go, absolutely. And uh, you can, if you're being a little lazy, you can just scroll down into our episode notes, and we'll make sure there's um, links to tips and tricks. You'll find our Instagram link. And the other thing we're definitely going to make sure is that you have a link to uh, Marsha's book, which uh, we're going to get into in part two. All right, cool. I'm right. into that. So, which this brings us to the end of part one with um, designated drinker, Dr. Marsha Chatlin. 
professor of history and African-American studies at Georgetown University and the Pulitzer Prize winning author of franchise, The Golden Arches and Black America. Um, but if you are anything like me, or anything like Gina, you know, one round is never enough. So go back, top off that drink and get ready for part two, because you definitely want to find out more about this book. And, uh, Enjoy some more boozy banter, and uh, Gina's going to share her Marsha-inspired cocktail that I know you're not going to want to miss, because I'm loving it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Come on. Tie it together. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a Latino-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, we craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers. Now if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to follow, download, and review the shows. Your reviews help our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.